From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, dropouts? So today's a doozy. I have two strong, powerful women that are going to speak to us today. Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey of this Spiritual Fix podcast. You guys need to go and subscribe to their podcast. And I say this in the show as well. They have taught me so much. I was going along in my life thinking that I had learned all I need to learn about my spirituality and about you know, my love languages and healing myself. And I got to the spiritual fix. I found them on TikTok and I was immediately engulfed in this absolute wealth of spiritual knowledge and self-healing that I truly never knew that I needed. I don't take this lightly when I say this, they changed my life. And I want you to listen closely about when we talk about the primal wounds, because there's actually a primal wound I didn't even know that I had. And I totally said it to them during this podcast. And they were like, oh, it's this. And I'm like, oh, obviously like big duh moment. So huge, huge aha moments for me during this session. We talk about the drama triangle, which is something that Christina herself came up with that spirit shared with her. And I really think that you're going to resonate with this and we need to get ourselves out of this drama triangle. What is the drama triangle? Stay tuned. We're going to find out. We also talk about working with shamans and how Christina and Anna both say that in the correct situation can eliminate the need for traditional psychotherapy. So you're going to want to stick around for all of that and more today on the luxury dropout podcast. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Welcome, Anna and Christina of The Spiritual Fix to the Luxury Dropout Podcast. How are you guys? Hi, thanks for having us. Yes, great. Yes, yes, we're good. great. Good. Have you recorded <laughs> yeah. this week together so far? Oh, we recorded we last night an interview with someone. Oh, great. It was a lot of fun. It was a woman that both Anna and I have worked with in the past and we don't normally do interviews on our podcast very often, right? It's like kind of yeah. very few and far between. Yeah. And we were talking about the divine feminine with her, which mm. is something that we're going to be touching on next season. And mm -hmm. it was very juicy and very kind of sexy. And it's, I'm really excited. It's, about it was really <laughs> sexy and a little controversial. <laughs> I actually took a, a <laughs> course. I took a course on the divine feminine recently. And I've been learning about, you know, the divine masculine and the wounded masculine. And I've been doing a lot of work on that because I've been attracting the wounded masculine quite a bit. And mm. so I had to do the work on that. So I'm, I can't wait for that episode. That'll be really cool. Yeah. And it will be a cool thing yeah. because it's yeah. kind of bookmarked. Her husband leads the one on the divine masculine and then the following episode, right. it's her. Oh, so it's cool. kind of, yeah, it'll be like a whole Tantra series where we discuss the both. Yeah. Amazing. I yeah. love that you guys aren't afraid to delve into all the sectors of spirituality. It's not just one form of spirituality. I think it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> We're willing to try anything really. <laughs> yeah. And that's really where it started for us, right? Is like, we weren't dogmatic about anything. Right. And so that's what made it interesting, I guess, maybe. 
Yes, it is interesting. I mean, every episode, I'm just like on the edge of my seat listening. So for our listeners right now, please go immediately and subscribe to the spiritual fix on wherever you stream, because you won't, you won't regret it. I'm telling you right now, you guys are really good friends, like close friends. You'd say best friends, probably at this point in time, Mm -hmm. you share stories of childhood pain and unite in the same goal of healing that pain. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Beyond that is more just realizing that there's more of us to love, mm-hmm. that there's really nothing. Cause we kind of joke, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to heal. There's just more of us to love. Like as we dive deeper into the whole self-discovery, we're all going to find things inside us that we might not be proud of or parts of us we don't really like. And so our biggest message is really when you find these things, just recognize there's more of you to love not parts of you to heal, not parts of you to purge, not parts of you to scold, but just more of you to love. And that's what we mean when we say healing those layers of pain that come up, because we really want everyone to know that we all have this pain in us. We all have wounds. We're all playing quote toxic games. We're all on this earth to learn lessons. Mm -hmm. And as we uncover the things we have to learn, our journey is to love that in us. And then in turn, we come to love it in everyone else, because if we can love all the ugly parts of us, it's so much easier to just love and accept everyone around us because everyone has ugly side parts. And sometimes it works even the other way around. Sometimes we find that in looking and forgiving in other person's stuff, we start to recognize that actually the thing that we have the biggest problem with somebody else is just us reflected back at us. And if we can forgive them, then we can start to do the work on ourselves. So, you know, there's lots of entry points, whether it's going into ourselves first or whether it's looking at our relationships or looking at the things we have difficulty with in the world or keep attracting. Right. I've heard this before. And I always say it to myself is you don't have to be completely healed to be loved all the way through. I know you guys both say if you're completely healed, you're at the level of enlightenment, which none of us are going to get there. My major joke has always been that like, if I was married to Jesus Christ or Buddha, who are like the perfect men that have probably ever walked the planet, guess what? I'd be bitching at them. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would find something to bitch about because to me, that's always been my yardstick to measure like the perfect man. Like I would still find fault with Buddha. I would still find fault with Jesus. So like, where is the fault here? It's actually through my own perception. I won't take credit for this. It was like a meme, but it was you know, like me to Jesus on the third day, where have you been? And why didn't you call me? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like where, I mean, why didn't you tell me where you were? You could have at least texted. Yeah. Why are we feeding all these people? Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you take me out on a date just alone? You know, you you'd find something. Right. Of course. I get that. All of us have women from their early twenties, you know, Gen Z all the way up to forties, fifties and beyond have heard about the love languages, right? And we all know what they are. We all have now, thankfully, we're more aware of the love languages. I have come to know what my love language actually is to where what I thought it was, which I thought it was words of affirmation. Now I've come to find out it's actually quality time because I was being love bombed a lot. So the words of affirmation was what was getting me going at first, Mm -hmm. but now I realized it wasn't. So we know all about that. But what I want to talk about is are the primal wounds. And I know that you guys have done extensive episodes on this. So don't worry, it won't be too in-depth. I will direct the audience to go and listen. So I'll go through the primal wounds. So we've got abandonment, we've got rejection, betrayal, injustice, and humiliation. Just for those listening, the corresponding masks, the masks that we wear, abandonment is the codependent. Then we've got rejection, which is the fugitive. 
We've got betrayal, which is the controller. We've got injustice, and that is the harsh critic. And then humiliation is the masochist. So take Mm -hmm. a second to take those in, everybody. So me personally, I was looking at abandonment and I was looking at betrayal. So those are Mm -hmm. things that I have experienced in my relationships. Obviously it's a little bit different because I'm still out here on the streets in the dating scene. And it's like, it's rough out here. Okay. First one, abandonment. So my abandonment and my codependency, for example, like say I'm with someone and every morning they call me or every morning they text me. And then for like two weeks, they stop doing that. And maybe I might hear from them throughout the day, but it's not that consistent every morning, good morning, phone call, good morning, text. And then my mind starts going, are they leaving me? Are they abandoning me? And then becoming very codependent as in, you know, texting them, like, is everything okay? Did I do something wrong? Like that kind of a thing. And that's how I was behaving before. I know this is relatable for a lot of women. How do we self-soothe in that kind of a situation? What's the type of work that we have to do? Does it depend how deep seated it is? Is it person by person? Um, I mean, how do you go about attacking that? It's really interesting. I had a yoga teacher when I did my yoga teacher training a couple of years ago, I had a yoga teacher. And she would talk about how when you come up to people, you're usually relating to them on the level of a chakra, mm-hmm. right? So she was using that kind of analogy. And one of the things that we talk about in, in TSF is how these primal wounds are a lot like the shadow chakras, right? That like, they're kind of like, whereas, you know, the heart and like be, having an open heart is like the light side of the shadow chakra, like rejection is the dark side abandonment is in the second chakra sort of thing. Those are kind of the ways that we relate to it. And what is interesting about that is that if you use that, if you recognize that, like you are resonating, like your shadow, your primal wound is kind of like a magnet, right? And it's going to be attracting the opposite magnet that is going to pull this lesson. It's because everything is a lesson, like the whole world is just a forgiveness machine, which is what we talk about. Like it's all just this opportunity. It's all medicine. It's all food for us. And we can choose to see that as nourishing or we can choose to see it as hurtful. When you come to recognize that you're attracting someone who is triggering the lesson of like, oh my God, I feel abandoned right? It's like your magnet is just like specifically honed for that abandonment room, right? Mm. And so when it comes to how do I attract the person who, you know, isn't going to be the magnet that's going to pull this out, right? The work to preempt that is to say, is to almost like create your own magnet, complete your own circuit is kind of what I mean, right? Is to be like, I don't need somebody else to have to learn this lesson right now. It sounds crazy, but it works. Like your mind can't tell the difference between what happens in real life and what happens in your mind. But you create this kind of work and you recognize that nobody can abandon you. You know, you come down and you peel away all the different things that you're feeling about abandonment and you get angry and you experience all of that without even needing to have the other partner to play off of. Mm -hmm. Right. And by doing that, the magnet becomes less magnetized. Right. And you don't have to attract the partner that's going to bring out that lesson because you're doing it anyway. Like you're doing the work 
that the lesson would have to bring with you. So it's like, Hey, let's do the pre-work, right? right. Let's of do course. the pre-work <laughs> to close that circuit too. If you're paying attention to the universe, the universe is always here teaching us what we need to learn. Like I read a beautiful quote that said, you know, if you don't take the day off that the universe is giving you hints, you need to rest, you need to take a day off. It's going to make you sick. So you have no choice, but to rest. So if you tell yourself, okay, I've got this abandonment wound. Let me just notice it and everything. You might start to notice that your abandonment wound is being triggered by a commercial, by a boss's email, by this was hilarious. I saw a TikTok about it by the car behind you choosing to get another lane. You're like, wait, what did I do? Why have you left me? And it's like, if you decide that you're going to hone in and heal that abandonment wound and notice it everywhere, like Chris is saying, then you don't need this teacher to come along because even the people who trigger us are our teachers, our dark teachers, not our light teachers, but you're less likely to need them to come teach you a lesson. Cause you're, you've already let the universe know I've decided I'm going to take on this lesson and you can bring me like one of my mantras is like, I learn my lessons easily and effortlessly. Like, yes, I have shit to learn, but let me learn it easily and effortlessly. Like I don't want to learn it in a hard way. You know, let me learn it quick. So I can kind of bypass a lot of the drama of it. Right. That's a great example of something that happened between Anne and I in the second season. Like we're finishing up our second season now is that, you know, we started doing all this work on the drama triangle and then we literally became the subject of each other's drama triangles, right? I see that as such a gift because as bad as it got and as much as I wanted to throw up every single one of my rejection wound stuff all I wanted to literally throw every single wound in the world and I went through the whole game and I'm pretty sure Anna did too yeah I felt ultimately that we were in a safe space that we could do it without the consequence of like needing like bad validation you know like oh well there it is she left me you know we stopped yeah. doing the podcast or we did whatever right. like we didn't need that because ultimately we were both on the path of like, hey, we got to learn these lessons and this is absolute shit and it feels so bad right now. I can talk a little bit about the abandonment wound, um, like navigating dating with an abandonment wound as someone who did that. So I read a wonderful book by John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. He has a book called Mars and Venus on a Date. And in it, he talks about the five stages of dating, which are attraction, uncertainty, exclusivity, intimacy, and engagement. So right after attraction comes uncertainty. So usually, you know, in the attraction stage, there's a lot of love bombing. There's a lot of fantasy, like it's an abandonment wounds dream because that person is like right there, completely involved, completely claiming you, you know, owning you, calling you, texting you every day, like the whole day deal. And it looks a lot like the intimacy stage, but that intimacy stage doesn't really come till after uncertainty and after exclusivity. So after attraction comes uncertainty and men will usually use that uncertainty to take a step back and evaluate the relationship and often even test you. Like they might actually not te uh, text you or do something really fucked up and they might not even consciously be doing it. It's an unconscious thing, just like children unconsciously test authority. They're unconsciously maybe testing you to see how are you under pressure? Like, how are you under disappointment? How pathetic are you really in some ways? No, it's an unconscious thing. And then after the uncertainty stage comes exclusivity, where you decide we're going to be exclusive, then comes deeper intimacy and 
you know, after that you got engagement and all and marriage and all happily ever after. Right. <laughs> In quotes. So <laughs> understanding uncertainty was really a huge eye opener as someone with an abandonment wound, because I used to perceive that when the man would start to take a step away from me after coming on so strongly that he now was abandoning me, that he now no longer liked me. Like he was leaving me. I didn't matter to him. And I would react very strongly. But when I understood that that is a normal phase of healthy relationships to be uncertain, to ask questions like, is this person good for me? Do I even like this person? That's what they're doing, but I wouldn't be doing it. I'd be over here being like, what do I need to do to get him to like me again? What do I need to do for him to love bomb me again? Like I'd be more worried about what do I need to do to to overperform to get his attention again, instead of using that stage wisely to ask myself the questions of, is he a good fit for me? I think for an abandonment wound, understanding that uncertainty is normal and uncertainty is healthy. And when someone pulls away in the beginning, right after that initial attraction, it doesn't always spell out abandonment or rejection. To me, introspectively, Anna, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, is this making me happy? Why am I reacting with my gift giving love language and showering him in Mm -hmm. gifts and experiences and things like that? And let me treat you to dinner. Like, no, like you should be focused on like, are you happy? And is he making you feel complete and not the opposite? Right. Cause I think with abandonment, when, when people pull away from us, our response is to try harder and to work harder and to blame ourselves and to think, what have I done wrong? Like, what can I do? You know, you go through your Rolodex of personalities and be like, what kind of woman do I need to be for this guy? That's codependency in a nutshell is kind of creating whatever you think they want instead of asking like, are they good for me? So yeah, exactly. And I find that my abandonment wound gets triggered too, even like online, like on Instagram or whatever, say I get into a disagreement with a friend on Instagram or a text that comes in or a comment that is made on something I've written or a caption that I've written and they're disagreeing with me. I feel like I automatically get into this. I got to DM them and tell them all these things that they're so beautiful and wonderful. And I've got to get out of this really quickly. The drama triangle situation comes into play. I'm sure your feedback is mostly positive, but on TikTok, I know sometimes it can get like a little sketch, like with people and their commentary. Do you ever find yourselves triggered by anything that people comment or say? Luckily, I think we've only had two negative comments out of like thousands. And I know, I remember one really triggered me, Chris. Do you remember? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was the one about cultural appropriation, wasn't it? Oh my Lord. I was discussing the teachings of the Buddha and someone said that I was whitewashing and culturally appropriating the Buddha, which was just in my mind, I could understand their point of view, but I also was like, I have put so much study into this. And the Buddha wanted to be loved and understood by the whole planet. He was not a cultural fighter. You know, he wasn't about the culture. He was about the consciousness. So it was just, I was like really biting my tongue to be not triggered. Right, Christina? (laughs) The drama triangle is that like, I think the dynamic of what goes on online is it's a whole bunch of control dramas going all on all over the place. Like it's it's a whole bunch of people basically inviting you into the drama triangle, right? Because people just feel... They want engagement in whatever form of engagement it comes in, because if they become the persecutor, if they're going to, you know, the drama triangle says there's a persecutor and there's a rescuer. And then ultimately those two types are trying to always become the victim. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 
as the drama triangle, you know, you get people in your comments that start becoming the persecutor and saying, how could you do this? You didn't do this right. You know, blah, 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 blah. And so then you want to fall into the victim or you want to automatically become, you know, or you want to switch into, like you said, like you, something goes on and some conflict happens and all of a sudden you want to become the rescuer. You're like, Oh my God, I totally relate to what you're saying. It's like, I'm just going to literally start showering you with random other comments yeah, in order to make you feel better because I am terrified, like automatically taking responsibility for this conflict. And I am already trying to mitigate the fallout so that nothing happens, even though it is such a betrayal of myself Yes, to do it. Yes. Okay. There's maybe a point when we come to that we don't have opinions right? Because we're just totally loving and accepting. But right now we live in duality. We live in experience in which we have opinions. And most of the time, those opinions are not going to be swayed by other people. I mean, that's kind of a controversial thing to say, but you know, like Mm -hmm. ultimately it's our own learning and our own reflection in the world that helps us to move positions, which is, I feel like why we're kind of in a climate that we in right now, because everyone thinks they can change everybody else's opinions about something. Anyway, won't go down there very far, but like the idea being that, you know, whatever your truth is right now, we all need to recognize that our truth is kind of the only truth, but it's also not really truth at all, right? Because it's our truth. It's nobody else's truth, right? And so, but that's where we are right now. And we honor that and we accept where we are right now. And we accept that if this hurts our feelings or if this does whatever, that we need to keep our integrity and not give away all that power because we're terrified that someone's going to leave us. Absolutely. And it happens with friends too, even over text where we'll get into a disagreement and I'll eventually go into that rescuer mode where Mm. I'm like, oh my God, babe, you looked so beautiful on your Instagram post today. Like, and just trying to get the problem away. Mm -hmm. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Yeah. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Exactly. And so I think that I do have that wound. I, I won't say I won't, but in dating, I want to put it out there that I have set really strong boundaries mm. with regards to how I allow a man to court me because I truly believe it should be a courtship. I'm a little old fashioned, I guess you could say quote unquote in that way. Whereas like, I don't accept the same day date. I don't want you to ask me to hang out. I want you to ask me on a date. I want a place and time, things like that. So if they don't text or call the day after or the day after that, I expect to know like a reason why. And I'm not saying you have to tell me every single bit of your life, but I think it's to be expected. If you disappear for two days, you should say, Hey, I know we haven't touched base in a couple days. Work's been crazy. Do you want to get together on Saturday? Like something like that. But if they don't do that, then I automatically give them the ax. And at first I was like, oh, maybe that's my abandonment wound. But then I said to myself, well, no, maybe that's because I've set good boundaries in dating. What do you think? Well, we have a whole episode on this called like attracting your soulmate, your five deal breakers, your five deal makers kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I know like with my husband, I was also big on courtship and big on, you know, my husband is from Georgia and he's like the gentleman who always pays and always opens, opens the door. And like, he's just like, such a Georgian gentleman, right? He's a a Georgia peach, but he's a man. I don't know what the equivalent is. He's like that. And what I was going to say is I had made before I had in my mind, I made like vision board, but not even vision board is necessary. But like, I just knew in my mind, like, like the man I want to marry 
has got to have these five qualities. And then I said, and beyond that, I'm going to radically forgive everything else because if it's not important enough to put on my list, then it's not important for me to go nitpick. Right. Yeah. I think it's up to you then what is on your list is getting a text two days. You know, if you have a thing, okay, he has to text me back 48 hours after a date. If you want to put that on your deal breaker list, that's fine. You can put anything on there. I mean, hell you could even say the world is vast. You could say only wears purple shirts. I mean, (laughs) you can put whatever you want on that list. Right. But I would say for the sake of understanding that humans humans are very multi-layered, multifaceted. I would choose the things and then stick to them and then give a lot of wiggle room for other things. Cause like, for example, I put on my list, these qualities, and then I meet my husband. Well, he was a lot older than me that I had, you know, expected my future husband to be. And he had been married before, but never on my list had I put, you know, needs to be within five years of my age needs to be never married. Like I didn't put that on my list. And so when I met him, he was older and he had been married before. I thought, well, it wasn't on my list. So I'm going to just let that go and be curious and be open-minded. And I'm so glad I did, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, so he, yes. he had the qualities I needed him to have. And then everything else I chose to be flexible about. But your vision board also had an engagement ring. I understand. Uh-huh. Oh my God. So look at this. So my vision board, I should find it one day. It's gorgeous. He got me the exact ring from my vision board without knowing it because, and I had forgotten and I showed it to another friend when I got engaged. I go, look, she goes, Anna, get out your vision board from two years ago or, or five years ago, whatever. Stop. And I pull it up and we were both like freaking out. It was the same ring. <gasps> well, if that's she's like, she's like, I don't know what is guys. Yeah, she's like, did, did he have your password to your computer? I'm like, he's not a snooper. And no, he didn't have my password. Like we still yeah. don't. I was going to say my stepdaughter helped pick it out. So it wasn't even him. I mean, it was just crazy, but yeah. yeah. I think what you said about manifestation is really true in the sense that by creating those boundaries, you are effectively saying, this is what I want right now. And then the universe is probably going to keep testing you and be like, Hey, here's 80% of what you want. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Or here's 95% of what you want. Is that okay? And you just need to keep being like, Nope, I'm actually waiting for hundred percent. I'm good. And I'm actually patient to be able to do it. And kind of putting another layer onto it and let me know if this is too premature, but you know, one of the things that betrayal, obviously betrayals mask is controlling. Yes. Right. I'm getting there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so for some people, it can get confusing in this area because you're like, well, you're just trying to control things too much. You're creating too small of a narrow, you know, narrow of a field. You need to be open to whatever's coming into the world or whatever. You could say all sorts of things. And I think The real test of this is that, you know, betrayal people like to avoid pain. And so they try and limit the possibility of pain kind of in their life. All the wounds are eventually are using masks to avoid pain or do it in a controlled fashion, like have pain come in in a controlled fashion, if that makes sense. And and so when it comes to the betrayal wound and kind of whether or not you know that that's playing a part... And what you're doing to say like, oh, are my boundaries being too controlling right now? What I think is a good test is to say like, okay, am I saying that this person needs to do this and this and this and this because ultimately I don't trust them? So the answer that they're telling me right now, this is the psychic woo coming in and I'm just going to be super (laughs) clear that this is what's coming in right now, is that if your boundaries start to change to be more controlling or if they become reactionary, right? So if it becomes reactionary to be like, oh, well now I have to create another boundary 
because you're breaking my other deal breaker, but I'm not in a place where I'm going to actually say that end it because you broke this deal. So I'm going to create this other deal and I'm going to create this other deal and this other deal breaker and this other deal breaker, right? And that is the clear kind of sign that you know that the betrayal wound is coming in to kind of control things because it's trying to avoid the pain, but it's also wanting to avoid ending things, breaking up with things. Like when you have betrayal and abandonment working side by side, it's like two completely different, they're diametrically opposed in that one is wanting to kind of control everything and push it away. And the other is always just like, no, no, never leave me, never leave me. Right. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a very push pull. Knowing that your deal breakers keep changing because you're afraid to really like have that moment and say like, actually, this is a deal breaker. And this, my deal breaker happened a long time ago, but I was afraid or I had lost faith that I was going to find my hundred percent. It's kind of a way to, to recognize that with a betrayal wound. I'm glad that you said that, that there's the push pull, because I think that sometimes I mix up the two in my head, whereas it's almost like I'm trying not to get abandoned. So I control the situation. Mm -hmm. So that's like fused in a weird way. Oh Um, yeah. Codependents are, we're very controlling us codependents, but we're very manipulative about it. It's very under the surface, right? It's very like, yeah. If you, yeah. Yeah. If you want to bring the drama, right. If you want to bring the drama triangle, it's like betrayer is the persecutor more and the abandonment is the rescuer. The rescuer is very kind of tricky about the way that they're trying to become the victim. Whereas the betrayal person's like, nope, I'm going to be the persecutor about it. Right. When my love and my gift giving was not reciprocated, I'm the victim now. Mm, So exactly. You know, And I want to get into the drama triangle in a second, but I want to tell you guys, Anna brought up in the episode where Eric and the texting, um, that episode, you kept referring to, you know, that wound as she, like as an entity, I think. Yeah. The dragon or something. I can't remember. You, You gave it like an entity sort of thing. And so that's what I do for my anxiety and for, my self-sabotage, I actually have given them names and I've like humanized them. And I want to put that out there because I gave my friend this advice. We named her self-sabotage. And ever since then, she texts me and she's like, Stephanie, like Maria's acting up again. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, what did she do now? And so we talk about it like that and it gives it this element of humor. And so we kind of take the power away from it a little bit. So I hope that's helpful to someone listening. Well, yeah, I call my PMDD, which is like severe PMS, my dragon. Oh yeah. I turn into like a dragon, like Medusa. (laughs) I will. And it's really helpful because I can see she's just another side of me, you know, that's what it was. And yeah, I was probably talking about my dragon. (laughs) So the thing about boundaries, I think is really worthwhile, especially if you're codependent because codependents are, as, as I say in the podcast, we're the doormats of the universe because we're willing to tolerate almost any behavior if that person doesn't leave us. So I know that for me, one of the great ways that I use a yardstick for boundaries is I have to ask myself things like, if this person treated his boss like that, would he treat his boss like that? If this guy, and I'm making this up, if this guy I'm dating his boss took him out to dinner, would he probably send his boss a thank you text day later? You know, if his, he had a meeting with his boss, 
and he couldn't show up, would he send a courtesy text to reschedule? You know, so sometimes because I get so, I would get so wrapped up in, well, maybe he's really just awesome. And I'm just, I'm just being abandonment woundy here. But if I can be like, well, would he treat his boss like that? Would he treat his colleague like that? Like I can make it a little more objective and then I can more easily discern behavior as respectful or disrespectful, because I think sometimes we get caught up in our wound and it just clouds our vision. And if you're also self-deprecating, then you start to wonder, and well, am I just being a needy bitch or was he actually doing a disrespectful behavior? So that sometimes I do that. I just, just say like, how would he treat a colleague? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's a great analogy. Being polite, being a fucking polite human being, it is normal to me to not cancel like at the start time of the date, like that is under no circumstances. Right. He, he would get fired. Like you can ask yeah. yourself if he did that to his boss five times in a row, would he get fired? You know, like you can, you know, because the behavior that we, that goes on in dating, it's not that much different than office etiquette if you yeah. think about it. So that's one way to yardstick it. For those of you who aren't familiar with the drama triangle, you have to go to this spiritual fix and listen to all of the episodes on the drama triangle because it is essential for your life. I'm telling you right now. Okay essential for your life because it has taught me so much about my cyclical need for drama. And I didn't even think I was creating drama. I am enlightened. I'm healed. I'm all of the things I'm better now. Look at me. And when I listened to your episodes, I was like, I am not enlightened or fixed right now. Like I need more fixing <laughs> the drama triangle. There's three facets. And as you know, you've been listening. So you have the victim, you have the persecutor and you have the rescuer. So those are the elements of the drama triangle. So I'm sure you can infer from what we've been talking about, you know, let's take an example. You get a message online from or a comment online from a person that says you are culturally appropriating, you know, right. And it, it just triggers you. And you're just like, no, that is not how I feel at all. That's nowhere how I feel inside internally. You're just having, having this anxiety. So you either go one of two ways, right? You go to the persecutor, which is you go on attack and you go attack that person, or you go to rescuer, which is, you know, you try to fix the situation. Yeah. Let me educate you on how yes. I'm not one of, you know, I'm not appropriating. Yeah. But automatically, because you have let this comment affect you, you're automatically taking this victim mentality. Am I right, ladies? Ultimately you feel victimized. So then your next response is persecutor or rescuer, or maybe victim. Poor me. How could they yeah. possibly think that a cultural appropriator when I just love Buddha or whatever yeah. it is? I mean, right. so you normally, you guys don't eat except for anywhere, except for the kitchen. That's like a general rule in your house. Mm -hmm. Your husband had gone into the guest room, eaten some Doritos. Cause he was not trying to wake you up. He was watching TV and he'd left some Dorito crumbs <laughs> by the bedside. And so this like triggered you and you're just like, WTF, like, yeah. really, are you joking me right now? And so you can go ahead, Anna and finish. Oh. Well, yeah. so we had guests coming that day. So I go into the bedroom to double check how clean it was, make sure, you know, no puppy had pooped in the bedroom, whatever. So I come into the room and I see the Dorito chips and I saw red. And my first thought was, Holy fucking shit. And then I go into victim. Poor me. I'm always cleaning the house and no one recognizes how much hard work I do. And I'm so, such an amazing housekeeper. No one cares. And then I went into persecutor, which is like that fucking pig. How could he <laughs> fucking leave chips on this thing? And then, you know, rescuer was like, 
you know, I'll take care of it. And I, you know, I'll, I do I'll, everything anyway. I'll, yeah, just yeah, do I'll just do it. And then I stopped myself in my tracks and I was like, Anna, you're playing drama triangle here. And there was no cheese at the end of this tunnel. Like, do you really, it was even my birthday that day. And I was like, do you really want to be in the drama triangle for your birthday? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be mature because the drama triangle is all about immaturity. It's all about being afraid to directly ask for your needs to be met. You know, we go around it by either pointing a finger and playing persecutor or saying, poor me being the victim or trying to play rescuer. So then we can say, well, I tried to rescue you. And didn't you see what an awesome job I did? So I was like, I'm not going to do any of those three options. I'm going to be mature. So I just calmly told him, Hey babe, in the future, will you please not eat Dorito chips in the guest room, especially before a friend comes. And he was like, you know, like, yeah, all the color drained from his face. He's like, I'm so sorry. That will never happen again. And then it was over. And then we went on without our day. And it was a one minute thing instead of a a 30 minute thing that could have turned into no joke. And for anyone who's been married, it could have turned into a five hour resentment. You know, like, I mean, the reality is when you live with someone and they piss you off, you can hold on to that shit for as long as you want. And it, it became a one minute thing because I was able to catch it before the drama triangle serotonin addiction thing just kind of set off. So now Christina, you are the one basically spirit gave you this information. Is that correct? Yeah. So it was a very interesting thing because our mutual teacher, Robbie, who's a shaman who we actually had a episode and we interviewed this season. She mentioned the drama triangle to me a while ago And, you know, she would kind of be like, oh, you know, and I misunderstood it when she first told me, like when she first told me, she was like, oh, well, in one lifetime, you're the abuser. The next one, you're the abusee. And then you may be the rescuer. So you're always just going to flip flop in these roles throughout your whole life, you know? And so I would do work to try and release my ancestral abusers who I knew were in my family line and my ancestral ancestral abusees. And I was kind of doing it on a really meta, very like, not day-to-day level, if you know what I mean. And then it wasn't until it was, again, it was that conflict between Anna and I where like, I got really upset about something and I noticed how I was just like roiling in this experience of like being upset, but not saying anything because I didn't want to make her upset. And I was literally just like flip-flopping through all these roles. And I was like, oh my God, like it was spirit who just came in and was like, look, Like, look at what you're doing. Like you are one second, you're the persecutor, you're the abuser. The next second you are saying stuff to Anna, like, oh, it's so great. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. Right. Like trying to do this. And then the whole time you're sitting here bitching to your husband about how much of a bitch she is and you're playing the victim. Like you're literally persecuting yourself and then playing the victim and then playing all three at the oh, exact same time. Yeah. I was playing all of them. We were flip-flopping between the three of them as our drama unfolded, but it was awesome. Like, and I told Chris later, I was like, there was no one else in this world. I'd rather have been in the drama triangle with than her because we were both willing to see it and to stop it and get out of it. But man, we pushed each other. We flip-flopped. This was a lot for me. And this is why I talk about the betrayal because betrayal and rejection are like my two jams. Like those are my wounds, right? And it wasn't until, and both of those like to avoid feeling anything that's pain, right? So the rejection wound will, will retreat completely away from it and just like become small and disappear. And then the betrayal wound will try and control everything to prevent it from happening, right? So it's like kind of those two different sides of it. Yeah. And 
I was so upset about this experience and I felt it in my body and I wanted to get rid of it. It was like this ball of pain in my body. And I was just like, I got to do something about this. I got to do something about it. And that's what the drama triangle wants us to do. It wants us to pass on that feeling, that hot potato of just nasty drama to somebody else so that you don't have to feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, is that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because the minute you just pass it on to somebody else, you're just making their ball glow hotter and your ball is still glowing hotter and there's nothing, you know, and eventually there'll be a reckoning. Even if it seems like you've temporarily passed it off, you're not. That day I went on a walk with this super uncomfortable feeling sitting right in my solar plexus. And I was just like, I'm just going to be okay with this super uncomfortable drama triangle sitting in my body. And I was like, and it was the first time I had actually been like, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to be wrong and it's okay to be right. And you don't have to make somebody pay for it. Like you don't have to make somebody else. There's no, like Anna says, there's no cheese at the end of this tunnel. There's no exchange of energy with this dynamic that makes anything feel better. You're never going to get what you want with it. Yes. And like in a triangle forever. And the biggest takeaway for me doing this work was I recognized the way that I used rescuing to get things that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Like instead of asking directly for my needs to be met, I would rescue people. Like I would do more of my fair share and group projects. So that way, when I wanted to take a break, I felt justified to take one, you know, and even around the house, like with me and my husband, whatever the chore distribution was, I would go 120% over my, because that way I knew that like, if I ever wanted a break, I could just ask for it instead of just asking for it, not having to earn it. And what I came to recognize with this work was, well, one, there's no cheese at the end of the tunnel. Like it's never going to give you what you want. And number two, if you're tired of playing victim, if you're tired of the victim consciousness, playing victim card, feeling like a victim in your relationship, or you're tired of being the persecutor, like fault finding and others, et cetera, you can't give up one leg of the drama triangle and expect the other two to be okay. Like you have to give up the whole fucking drama triangle. Like, (laughs) like I was in a situation where I was constantly playing victim with someone. And I realized if I wanted to stop, I had to stop rescuing them too. If I didn't want to be a victim to them, I had to stop rescuing them too. Like I had to give the whole thing up. I couldn't just give up the parts I didn't like. And so I think that's hard because one leg of the drama triangle, if not multiple are feeding you somehow, whether it's like a serotonin hit, a dopamine hit, a sense of worthiness, a sense of, Oh, I'm so amazing. I'm rescuing this person. You're getting some sort of feedback from one of the legs in the triangle or points I should say. So you, so you gotta be willing to just give up the addiction to all of it, or you're going to always be trapped in one in it, in it. Right. Christina. We go through even the 12 steps from, you know, AA because yeah. that was how I approached it. Cause I was just like, oh my God, I am such an addict. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to be emotionally mature. The only way I know how to operate when it comes to any sort of conflict is in this way. And I have to grow up. Like I have to figure out how to grow up. And trauma and all these other experiences like arrested my development from when I was younger. And it was just like, all right you know, adulthoods exist to get over our childhood. Sometimes I just think that, right? You know, that like we're here to, to kind of undo whether it's past lives or childhoods and and my job and my work for my, and you know, obviously I was particularly because of my kids, but just because of every interaction, my work was to grow up emotionally mm-hmm. and find and a new way to interact. 
I want to read a quote from you, Christina, that resonated with me so much that I wrote it down. And you said, it is important to focus on healing the wound. So the anxiety ceases, codependency, the overperforming ceases, and the maladaptive behaviors, the toxic behaviors start to fall off basically because they do not serve us. So I thought that was very introspective. We have so much old stuff that we're just used to doing because it's our habit. Yeah. And the more work you do, the faster it falls off because it's Mm -hmm. just like, yep, we're done. We're done. Don't need this lesson. Don't need this lesson. You know, and you start to just like sprint through your lessons. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get slowed down by bigger ones. Yeah. But, you know, the work is there and you're doing it. And Anna, you said to me, you said, I think our partners or potential partners trigger our wounds the most because they are the closest thing to us in terms of an extension of ourselves more so than even our children. Yeah. I think that our partner is whether we're male, female, or trans, you know, or non-binary, whatever, whoever our romantic partner is, they are inverse, right? Like, let's say I'm 60% feminine and 40% masculine. Most likely my husband is the flip. He's 60% masculine, 40% feminine. Like he is my mirror half. And I feel like especially when you live with someone or when you love someone and you are in a relationship or you are married, your identity is wrapped up in that person. And so they're the person who is our biggest trigger, you know, like they are our biggest tuning forks because they are ourselves. Especially if you're like me, like one of the things codependents do is they self-abandon abandonment. When people self-abandon, we don't look at our own shit. We try to save the world around us. So for, especially for someone who has abandonment issues, I wouldn't look inside as much. I would look to what my husband was doing wrong. If I was upset, I'd be like, well, I'm upset today. What the, what the hell did he do wrong today? Let me figure this out. Like it was like a little Sherlock Holmes with my magnifying glass. What did he do? Why am I in a bad mood? Like, (laughs) and instead of looking inside, you know, so for me, and I think it's true for a lot of people, would you agree, Chris, that our partners is the biggest extension of who we are. Like the more we can love and forgive them, that's like a closer reflection of our own self-love. And then I think it goes to children and then maybe siblings and then parents, you know, it's just kind of yeah. expands from there. I would say it's whatever your inner circle is, honestly. Like, you know, they say that like surround yourself with the five people that like you want to become like make sure that the people around you are expanders for your life, not contractors, right? Like they're pushing the possibilities of what you can do in this own life. And, you know, I, I joke with Anna that like my husband is my representation of my mind my daughter is my representation of my inner child. But before I had any of those relationships, the closest people that I had were also reflecting it, like work relationships and things like that. They were representing my own archetypes in my life. So I think it's definitely true that when you do have a partner that does give you that lesson, that amazing lesson to just like see your stuff so clearly. But I mean, one of the massive realizations I had years ago was with a colleague. I had kept having these issues with this colleague and I was like, God, I don't like this about her. I don't like this about her. I don't like this about her. And then I was like, oh shit, I don't like all that stuff about myself. Oh. And she was just giving it to me. She was just showing me. Right. And it was a colleague. Really? You know, so yeah. So Mm. when you get in that really intimate thing and and we've teased this, that our next season, we're going to be talking about the divine feminine masculine, Yeah, yeah, definitely with partners and things with all relationships, you're able to see that dynamic. And you're also able to see the wound dynamic and everyone in that really in your inner circle, whatever that like, whatever's in that kind of like roundhouse circle for you is going to be there to be like, 
you can like read them like a book if you want to, to be like, these are all the lessons you have to learn right now. <laughs> have you guys heard the story about the Bengali tea boy? No, this is a great analogy. There was this monk and he was like a really famed monk and whatever country it was, you know, this tea ceremony was really Bengal. I think it was Bengal part of India. It was like the tea ceremony supposed to be very graceful and beautiful and calm and lovely. And there was this tea boy that was terrible at it. He clanged the dishes. He'd break everything. He was really clumsy and annoying and he talked and he was just like a pain in the ass. And this monk was invited to go to Tibet and he heard that everyone in Tibet was so enlightened and peaceful that nothing was going to bother him when he went. So he says, I'll take the tea boy with me because he knew that if he didn't have something to trigger his anger, first of all, one, he needed to grow with that anger. So he needed someone that irritated to come along. And number two, you know, maybe it was preventing God knows what to happen in Tibet. Cause if he didn't have that outlet, you know, he would get it somewhere else. And then the joke was, well, actually people in Tibet were just as much as assholes as anywhere else. He didn't need to bring the tea boy. <laughs> but, but the point was, the point was, it's kind of like our partner, like whether it's you're married or unmarried, single, Lavoris, a hermit, a monk working in a high profile job. Like we all have our tea boys, you know? Yeah. I think my yeah. tea boy sometimes is me, but um... <laughs> yeah. ultimately our tea boy is us, right? 100%. Ultimately, our T-boy is always us. But that's the thing, like, we live in the drama, like, 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 and it's kind of realization is that, you know, we wouldn't even be in a body if we didn't have an inception in becoming incarnate. We like are born into a drama triangle of sorts, like the world is created from this machine of having to work out your stuff, which means interacting with whatever's around you. So you can go up into a a cave in the middle of the Himalayas and you're just gonna it's gonna be within yourself like your own playground is forgiveness and all your lessons just exist within your body or you can play the householder's life for the person in today this you can be on social media and get all your lessons like you can choose wherever it is to do that yeah there's guys living in the basement of their mom's house with no inner social interaction trolling playing persecutor all day like you can get it wherever you want it you know It's, yeah. And the, it's like, you as my fr- target, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like as my friend says, I love this. She's like, the world is a big golden corral, all you can eat buffet. What are you going to put on your plate? You know, it's all there, you know, macaroni and cheese. Yeah. yeah. You meant the other thing. Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Stack it high with mac and cheese. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, like, I'm going through a period right now where I feel like I'm just getting less and after less and after less. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I really need this to like let up a little bit. Like, you know, I definitely feel. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But at the same time. I also recognize that, like, I could I could totally slow down if I wanted to, like, I know that I could I could just, you know, I could stop stimulating myself with all these other things. And I could just be like, hey, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to be in my like divine feminine spa life and just be like, I'm just going to go do this. And then I could go back into the fray. Like I could go back into my doing my work and knowing that you can do that. Sometimes you're deep in the middle of a lesson. Like there's a saying that I love, which is, you know, if you haven't started, best not to start. But once you start, best to finish, right? Like mm-hmm. it's best to like, it, once you get into a lesson, like see it through, see it, or, like really try and see it all the way through because then you're going to just be much, it's best to finish once you start. 
it's a blessing too. The lessons are a blessing because, you know, here I was, like I said, before I, I found you and I was like, Oh, I'm doing the work. I'm doing a lot better. And then I found the drama triangle. And then I listened to your episode with Robbie, which we're about to get into. And, you know, there's like, and I'm like, there is a multitude. I mean, it just, it's infinite a number of lessons. I'm willing to take them all in. Am I willing to comprehend them at the time they're given to me at that very moment? Maybe not. Maybe it's going to take me a couple of weeks. Maybe it's going to take me a year, but I want to get there. And I think the intention is what is important. I think I said in one of the episodes, meditation is the work you do on the mat and coming out of the drama triangle is the work you do off the mat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that reaction. It's that, you know, automatic reaction wanting to push or pull and not just sitting there with the uncomfortableness of things. It's the same thing. It's just one's out here and one's inside. So the drama triangle was definitely a big piece missing from my meditation practice because so easy to be equanimous on a mat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So easy to just put your fingers together and pretend like you're Zen and all of that, but it's quite another to be Zen up here in your mind. I definitely was a believer in time heals all wounds. Yes. Time helps to heal wounds, but really it's up to me to make sure I am actively healing. I, I went through, I was in a really bad car accident on June 15th. That was completely the driver's fault. And I mean, I was deep in that drama triangle because I was the victim, like hardcore, right? And and persecutor, really. No rescuer was there, just persecutor and victim. And I was angry. I was angry every fucking day because my back still, still to this day hurts very badly. And I already had a bad back and now I have even worse of a back. And it's, you know, hindering me from doing what I love, from working out, from, you know, really like from travel, even travel is very difficult for me, lifting anything that's above five pounds, bending over to pick up something off the ground. So here I am every time I bend, try to go to bend something, bend over and pick up something, I get angry, right? So I had to do so much work to get myself out of that, you know, the manifesting of that anger directed at that dude. And just having to say to myself, like, where's the cheese at the end of this tunnel? Like, like you said, it's like, am I getting angry at this dude is going to do what for me? Nothing. Make me more angry. And one of the things that Anna and I have really discovered, we've done two rounds of primal wounds. Like we did it before we started a podcast and then we did it while we did the podcast. Mm -hmm. And then we went into the drama triangle. But one of the things that I found, and I feel, Anna, you can, you can tell me if you resonate with this too, is that Whenever I find myself going into the drama triangle, it's like a wound popping up its head being like, hey, guess what? Let's do a little bit more work on us. Right. So like for you, you know, you experience injustice. Right. So this is massive injustice wound. Right. And it's coming up like Anna's analogy is that the wound is like the piano and the drama triangle is the keys and how it plays itself out. Right. Like it's it's how it plays it out in your life. And you experience so much injustice in it, and then you're going to experience the drama triangle. When you diffuse the drama triangle, then you can use other tools to get into that injustice wound because the injustice wound's still there. Like, you know, you're still reminded every day of it. Mm-hmm. You're just going to use a better tool to get into it. You don't have to use the drama because the drama triangle just doesn't really, it just kind of lets it fester and it maybe like kind of puts a little bit of, the, of like, it's like it pinball. It just like the, the ball goes. Yes. Right. Right. But now you're like, oh, okay. So the drama triangle has let me know I have an injustice wound. 
Now let's deal with this using all of our other tools. And actually, I'm so glad that you said that, Christina, because I didn't even realize I had an injustice wound, but now I'm having a light bulb on the top of my head that says duh on it, because that's so obvious now that you say it. And also injustice is in the back. Like people with injustice wounds often have very rigid, stiff backs. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. that reminds, okay. Well, wow. Um, Another, another ding, ding, ding up here. Okay. That's fascinating. My mind is completely blown. Uh, Wow. If you see someone with like a really stiff erect spine, you can like guarantee that nine times out of 10, their primary wound is injustice. What the heck is going on here? Okay. They can become so rigid in their beliefs. My friend who turned me on to the primal wounds, she's injustice and her back is like, she has, the well, best, she has the best posture though. I had a bigger chair, but it blocked the background. So I sit on a stool now and I'm constantly trying to like keep my back straight. And then my legs are still supposed to be like in a figure four. Cause that stretches out my hip and keeps my back, you know, pain-free. And so I'm constantly like adjusting my legs and there's all this stuff going on here behind the scenes, always of every podcast I do, but it's just a reminder every day of like the stupid back thing that I have to go through every day. But whereas before I would be so angry, I would cry every day and be like, fuck this guy. I hate this guy. You know, like I, I never wish death upon anyone, but I'm like, I wish like he would get you know, a manure truck dumped on his head or something like, you know, something oh, silly. And justice like loves revenge. Yeah, oh, it loves for revenge. sure. For sure. Right? I know. I know. Yeah. It's like a monster. <laughs> but now I want to say I've forgiven him. I don't think I have truly forgiven him. I'm still working on that, but I have forgiven myself for allowing me to put myself in the situation where it happened. So I'm there, but I haven't forgiven him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pieces. There's pieces. It's like an onion. I feel like there, and then you, then, you know, you'll forgive the circumstance then you'll forgive the back pain. Then you'll forgive the crap. I mean, there's just like, it's like you open it up and there's so much to forgive when you go in that forgiveness factory. And people know this who listen to the podcast, but I did almost die that day. And it's my seatbelt. Oh my god! My seatbelt saved me. I mean, we flipped the car three or four times and I was hanging upside down with my hair above my head. I mean, it was yeah. bad. It was really bad. Really bad. That's why I'm so angry about it. Cause it wasn't just like a beep beep right. car accident. It was like the car was destroyed. It hit. It was like when we land, when we flipped it, the full impact was on my side, the passenger side. So I got, I had safety glass everywhere in my eyelashes, my mouth, like it was so bad y'all. It was, it was very, very bad. So thanking the heavens I am alive. <laughs> well, okay. So just to give you like the little thing that they're telling me right now, we just yeah. to get out there is that yes. like, it's interesting because the work that you've been doing this year mm-hmm. has it basically for what I can see is that is that the accident was actually supposed to be much, much worse. So think of it as like karma, if you want to say it like that, right? There's like all this action and reaction. That's all karma just means action, right? And like something happened before and then it has to have an equal and opposite reaction coming on the other side, right? And a lot of the times the fields of the wounds in particular, right? Like they pull energy from your karma. Like they kind of perpetuate karma. Like you can have injustice karma and you can have like betrayal karma and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And what I get is that like, Sometimes with these wounds, if they sit in the back or if they're ready to be released or something along those lines, what will happen is there will be this massive explosion of energy in the world. And sometimes it feels catastrophic, Mm -hmm. right? So it feels like a massive accident or it feels like something like that. 
but the work that you were doing was like you were relieving the pressure valve before the accident so that the accident was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Right. And so that's what we were, we're talking about in terms of like this whole experience of like your lesson's going to come to you. And do you want to, you know, do you want to just do the work, like relieve the pressure valve on your injustice wound, relieve the pressure valve on your rejection, love yourself, like love yourself in all those different ways and all those different areas, forgive those parts of yourself, forgive the people who have triggered them in you. And suddenly those massive releases of energy don't have to be so catastrophic, right? Like you don't have to lose your body, right? That kind of thing. Oh, wow. that makes me tingle all over. Um, and you know, it's my mom has constantly saying to me, like this accident was the catalyst. Like this was like the gateway to, you know, everything coming together for the podcast. And I mean, cause it was on the road to getting there, but I truly do feel, and I agree with her that it was the accident was like the turning point in a way for mm-hmm. me too. And I had been doing work before then, but it was almost like a beeline to the finish line of getting it up and running. So thank you for that affirmation (laughs) and the confirmation. I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Christina. I want to touch on your episode with Robbie. This is something I know very little about and I want to learn more. I want to get hooked up with Robbie real quick. Like I think I need to work with her as well. She just seems like a really badass lady. I, you know, I've done Reiki before. So that's kind of like, I guess the closest work that I've done to working with the shaman, but there's one very important question that I do want to ask you, especially you, Christina, because you said, maybe it was Robbie, but one of you guys said that psychotherapy isn't enough versus like, you know, just working with a shaman. Do you guys believe that working with a shaman can eliminate the need for traditional psychotherapy? Absolutely. But it has to be from someone who's living on all the different planes. So what I mean by that is you have your emotional body, your physical body, your energy body, and your mental body, right? And so when you go to a psychotherapist, they're only targeting the mental body, sometimes the emotional body, but it's like a big mind game to me. Whereas you go to a shaman and of course, I'm sure there's a whole variety of good and bad shamans out there, but the good ones are going to target your issue on all four levels. And so I've completely given up on psychotherapy altogether because I kind of mentioned in the podcast, I had been going to psychotherapy for a year to work on a dysfunctional relationship with a family member. And I've been going for a year and nothing changed. And I went to Robbie and in the first session, she changed everything. And me and that family member are now best friends which is what I always wanted. And I never thought it was possible. And it's because she targeted on all levels. And so, you know, it was funny because I had a friend who's going through a health problem. I was like, you should really just see my shaman about that. And she's like, why? And I was thinking, oh, never mind. It's not for everybody. Like it's not for everybody, but for the people who resonate and live on all four planes, energy, physical, mental, emotional, I think it's the best recipe and it's the quickest recipe for healing. Because it goes everywhere. And I know people that spend years in therapy and I'm like, but you're exactly the same person five years later. Whereas the people I know who meditate. Yeah. And the people that I know who meditate or visit shamans and who are putting themselves in the alpha state through hypnosis, meditation, whatever. It's like one month to the next, they're different. Like Christina's a totally different person than she was last month. Whereas, you know, the person down the street, I know has been going to therapy for 20 years 
is exactly the same person they were when I met them six years ago or something, you know? So it's like, and one of the things we talk about in that episode, and it's one of the ones that we talked about in the most, most recent episode too, is about, we talk about the three different types of work, right? So there's light work, shadow work, and dark work. And, you know, light work is very expansive. It's like, Ooh, let me see all these different possibilities, you know, like really expand love and expand your heart out. Right. And shadow work is looking at your past and saying, what is it that I can transmute? I kind of think of like of it as that, like, you know, energy that is sitting in shadow work is energy that is there to be, you know, released so that it can be freely used within your aura. So it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be attached to trauma. It doesn't, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be attached to a wound. It doesn't have to be attached to all these things. And then there's dark work and dark work is entity attachments. You know, all these, you getting into this deeper level of experience. And then I talk about all the time is that like, there's just some stuff that you can't really explain but somebody will do something and it is like night and day. It's like all of a sudden you just come out and you're like, oh my God, I literally feel like a different person. Like I was going crazy. Like my mind, my anxiety was out of control. I was going through panic attacks. And then Anna releases an implant on me. And then I'm like, oh shit, I'm fine. You can get into the dynamics of why those things exist or why they attract you or all that kind of stuff. Or you can just say, okay, maybe it's good to kind of cover all my bases here, like, you know, yeah. to, to get somebody who can deal in that realm. I don't want people to think when you think of shadow work or dark work, I feel like they're automatically going to think of like voodoo or hoodoo no, or no, like yeah, the shadow man from the princess and the frog or something. It's not like that. Okay. Nope, not <laughs> First of all. All. The shadow work is the drama triangle work. Really? Yeah. It's looking at your shit. It's looking at your skeletons in your closet is basically what shadow work is. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me because I was going to tell you, so in this Reiki master that I, we did zoom session, two zoom sessions together. The first one was three hours long. They're supposed to be an hour. This poor woman was dripping sweat at the Mm -hmm. end of her session. She's like, I'm so sorry. And she was like apologizing because she was just like dripping sweat, like all over. And she's old. She's probably like, I would say maybe 55 or so, like maybe close to 60. And she's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never like dripped so much sweat. I'm so sorry. I apologize. And she was kind of like, you know, in this apologetic stage to me, I was like, no, no, it's okay. Just like do what you need to do. Cool down, like go lay on your bed for a second, like do whatever you need to do. But like implants, those type of things when she was scanning my chakras and she would find them and ask, you know, Archangel, whichever Archangel she was speaking to at the time or asking for assistance to, to release them, to make them go away, to Phoenix fire them away. And then we talked about past life regression. And she was telling me that in one of my lives, I was this enchantress with like big curly red hair. And I wore this like beautiful ruby medallion. And I was like the Dexter of enchantresses. Like, whereas like I would hurt people, but only people that needed to be hurt. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really freaking cool. Injustice and I, wound. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? I know. There it is. Right. Even the scales. I know, I know. And I just thought like the imagery that she came up with, it was so accurate. And some of the things she touched on, she's like, did you almost drown once? And I'm like, huh? Like, how would you know that? Cause I would literally was, we were in Italy. I was probably 12 or 13 and we were at a water park. No one knows this. No one had social media. I never recorded it anywhere. The only people that know are like my mom and my sister and my cousins from Italy. 
we were in the wave pool and I couldn't get out. I couldn't swim fast enough because the waves were just like coming at me. And just like, right as I, as I was about to give up, someone came and pulled me out of the water and just things like that, where she just, that's what ha- got me believing. And that's why when you guys talk about Robbie and, and being a shaman and how she was trained and all of these things, like, and a lot of people, cause I grew up in a very strict, like Roman Catholic type of situation. So I have an altar where I have like my crystals and my prayer card, a mixed bag. It's got my rosary. It's got my prayer cards and it's got crystals. It's got like a dagger. It's got coins. It's got incense. I mean, sage and like a mixture, mixed bag of everything. Some people say it's sacrilegious. Some people say it's that I'm like, to me, this is what helps me. And this is how I speak to my higher power. So however you speak to your higher power, I accept, and you should be accepting of how I speak to my higher power. It's nothing to do with Satanism or something evil. This is about educating yourself that there's not just one way to speak to your higher power. But can you guys touch on what is a shaman and what can they do for you? And two, can you explain past life regression? Because I can't explain it. A shaman traditionally is someone who's obviously been taught in a lineage and it could be an indigenous lineage, like in Robbie's case, in which she was initiated as, a, as an Apache shaman, or it could be someone who could be a self-proclaimed shaman, which is something else, or it could be someone who is just adept at dealing with these sorts of things. So it sounds like the Reiki master that you have worked with. I work a lot with my clients with these sorts of things. I'm a Reiki master as well, but like, you know, work to try and, and do this. Anna obviously does it as well. Yes. A shaman, if you want to know if it's an actual shaman, like obviously like kind of speaking to the lineages of that, but it's someone who is dealing with the kind of mystical, energetic relationships that we have with one another. So the unseen relationships that we have within our own body with energy, as well as the unseen that's going on with other things. So they're using things like dreams. They're using things like trance states. You know, they have all sorts of tools in their bag and they've gone through an initiation, specifically a shaman will have gone through an initiation to say, I am able to stand here and hold space for you Mm. and hold you while you are going through the hurricane, but I will not step into the hurricane with you. Ah. Right. And that's the real trick with all this, because there's a lot of rescuing that goes in a lot of energy work where people will sacrifice themselves and say, I'm going to go in and rescue you. And that's not what a shaman is taught to do. I'm making a generalization. There's obviously a whole number that I'm probably not even aware of, but that's kind of the, the shaman piece of that, I think. I know that Anna and I have talked about Nine Perfect Strangers. Christina, have you started watching it yet? I haven't started watching it. It's literally Girlfriend. like the fourth time it's come up today. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> totally she needs to listen. She needs yes. to watch it. Like I want to get on, like not even a recorded call, just like another call to chat with you guys when you do watch it because, and it won't give it really anything away, but it's funny because, you know, Masha is Nicole Kidman's character. She's the shaman character and she mm-hmm. does step into the hurricane with her clients. Mm. And so I think that is really interesting that you said that. Yeah. I love Anna, how you showed me like the wounds, like manifested in physical form and how the Mm -hmm. characters of the show match the wounds. And I was just like down the fucking rabbit hole. Like that was so, that was so cool to me. Apparently the book is very different. So I want to read the book because my friend Christy is reading the book and she said she started watching the show and she's like, the show is totally different. 
I love it. It's the first time that Hollywood has done a show about the shadow work, shadow work. Yeah. You yeah. know, like someone really working with a facilitator in this case, it's a Russian shaman, but you know, she doesn't call herself a shaman to yeah. tackle their inner demons. And so I think there's nine different strangers. Three of them are, are working with grief, which isn't necessarily a wound. And then the other six are all dealing with different primal wounds. And it's mm -hmm. just fascinating to see how they unravel. Mm -hmm. It's it's I, a great show. I'm going to be so curious to know, because Stephanie, one of the things that we're playing with for next season is the mother and father womb. Okay. Which sit in the head. And, and I've been exploring a lot, like in the last, like, that's the kind of work that I'm doing right now. So I wonder if the grief is associated with those. So maybe it is actually an extension Ooh. of the primal wounds into going into the other things, but. Oh, that'll be really interesting to touch on and see. So yes, if you could explain past life regression, because I know that when I first heard it, I obviously, I can infer what it means, but I don't know exactly what it means. And I want to be educated. And I want my audio ship, my viewership to be <laughs> educated. Right. So, okay. So back in the nineties, there was a doctor named Dr. Brian Weiss, who was a psychotherapist and he used hypnosis for, to have his clients go back into their childhood to relive traumatic events. And one day, either he accidentally said it, or he said on purpose, instead of saying, go back to your childhood, he said, you can go back to any time. You can go back to any place or any time. He like left it open-ended and the client actually went back to talk about historical events. Basically he accidentally led someone through a past to a past life memory. And he kept doing it when he did it on accident. Then he was like, well, can I do it on purpose? So he started doing that purpose to other clients. And he would find, for example, that like a woman dealing with breast cancer in the left breast would go back and see herself as a native American who got shot in the chest with an arrow. So she had like a karmic ball that led to the breast cancer in this life. So he would just, he was playing around with it to find, did it work? And he found with great success that pretty much everyone, when put into hypnosis and left open-ended, they could go back and remember other lifetimes. The arrow story might be incorrect, but it was stuff like that. Well, in his office, he had a man come in and I'm going to get the dates wrong and all that, but basically he was an, in a past life. He went back to a life where he was an Aztec and he had a lover and he was like something pulled him apart and he couldn't be with his beloved. And then fast forward, he was in another time period. This time he was in Inca or this time he was in Kenya. Or, so the man went through like four or five different lifetimes where every time he was met to meet with his beloved male or female, because genders would switch. He was somehow not able to be with that person. Well, simultaneously, another client in his office was having the same exact memories from a different perspective. She was an Aztec woman and she would tell the exact same stories. And, you know, patient confidentiality, there was no wiretapping. It's like there was no fucking way on earth that their stories matched in the time, the setting, the plot, like everything matched up. He realized like they had been star-crossed lovers across time. So he ends up booking their appointments to be back to back or he double books them so that they're forced to be in the waiting room at the same time or something. Cause you know, it's, it's patient confidentiality. He can't be like, dude, yeah. my four o'clock is your wife, future wife, or, you know, so yeah. he couldn't do that. So he like double booked them. So they were stuck to be in the lobby together and they ended up falling in love, getting married, having children finally got to be together. Ah, and awesome. so he, that book is called only love is real. And he has a lot of books, many lives, many masters. And the one that really spoke to me was called through time into healing. So it was like in 1998, my friend and I discovered these Brian Weiss guy in his books. And we started reading the book and in the back of the through time into healing is the past life regression 
how to do it thing. And this is like a long time. This is in the nineties. So we made a cassette tape and we like recorded it. And we basically <laughs> learned to give ourselves past life regressions. Eventually we can memorize the script and do it ourselves, but we were able to go back and see our own memories. And there's two different ways that people can have past. Like there's three different ways. One is people can just remember them. Like my son remembers one, like usually it's before the age of seven and then children stop remembering them. Another one is like me, like what you did, you met a psychic and she could see you. Some have clairvoyance to see it. And then the third way would be through hypnosis where you go back and you actually relive the memory. And my belief has always been that even if what I'm remembering didn't really happen and my mind is making it up, well, first of all, I always go back to being like a farm worker, a housekeeper, a soldier, like very mundane things. If I was making it up, you know, maybe I would do Marilyn Monroe. No, I'm always doing like these very normal situations, yeah. very normal things. So, but I always tell myself, even if it's not true, the emotional release and the insight I get from it is so therapeutic. It doesn't matter if it happened or not, it will change my life today. And I call it a shadow work process or a light work process because it's not entertainment. Like the first one or two times you do a past life regression, you might just be like, who was I? Like, is this real? Like the first couple of times I did it, I was like, what the hell, you know? And then after that, you start to see it as a tool for insight. Like you come to recognize that the beef you have with this person was because they were the person who clicked the guillotine in a past life and killed you. You're constantly falling for the man who's wrong for you because in a past life, he was your soldier friend who got buried in a pile of rubble and you couldn't get him free before the other soldiers came or, or whatever. So you start to understand why we have certain relationships and themes in our life. And I think it's like an amazing tool to just keep reminding us that we're all connected. We all share in similar stories of loss and love and that we have a purpose on this earth and, and lessons to learn. So that's past life regression in a nutshell. I definitely believe in the past lives. And, and after you told me about Brian Weiss, I went and Googled him. I didn't hear some of the stories, but I did watch a snippet of the Oprah interview where he talked about his one patient that had gone through the past life regression. And then she started talking, you know, like I guess spirit started talking to her and through her talk to him about the passing of his son that was born with some sort of heart deformity and had passed away at like three months old and then about his father who had passed away. And so she became kind of like this vessel to talk to him. And he was like, this I forgot even, about that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like this, like my dad didn't even have, you know, an obituary. Like this wasn't even Googleable at the time. Nothing was Googleable anyways, but just the fact that this woman just started spouting off things about him and his history. He was like, this is how I know that she's tapping into something. I tell this story a lot because I think it's so cool. I had a memory of being saved by a soldier on a black horse. And that very same day, my son said to me, mommy, in a past life, our dog was a black horse. And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, I was like, did you, was I there? He goes, yeah, mom, I was a soldier and you were a little girl. And I was oh. like, oh, fuck. And not that I didn't love my dog before, but man, I sure love my dog a lot, you know, because he helped save my life. Your pug. My little black pug. Oh my yeah. Gosh. So that's a beautiful that for me, that was some validation. That is beautiful. I love mm -hmm. that. I hope that my Griffin will be with me in many lifetimes because he's honestly been the one that's been there for me through thick and thin, you know, everybody has their partner in their lives and I'm like the single woman in the family. And so he's the one that's really been there for me through. I'm through sure everything. he has been before and he will be again. So I yeah. think so too. You're familiar. I think so yeah. too. I really, I really do believe mm -hmm. that.
no matter how good of a psychic you are, you can only read in your configuration. Can you explain that, Christina? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I joke with some of my close clients, like people who are my friend client kind of hyphenated. And how is it that you're able to read me? Like, why is it that you bring up the things that you bring up? And I was like, I only bring up the things that my body understands. It's like, if I were to suddenly come across a person who had a completely different, she says configuration, you could say a frequency, you could say, you know, life experiences, whatever. Like if they're resonating with a whole bunch of some wound that I've never experienced, which isn't true because I have all of them. I believe that we all do. But the idea is that as a psychic, the clients who come to you who resonate are usually very similar to you, very similar to the same thing we were talking about, about with family, you know, giving you your lessons. Mm -hmm. You are able to help facilitate as a psychic the experience that other people have because you share, Robbie calls them codes, other people can call them experiences. You could call them little packets of wisdom, whatever. You share something and you're able to give them insights into aspects of themselves. You were put together for a reason, right? Even a psychic client relationship is like that. I was going to say like an example would be if you've ever had an eating disorder, you can spot someone in, with an eating disorder in a restaurant a mile away, but other people can't. Or let's say, you know, you've had a sexual, you've been around a sexual predator or you've been a survivor of sexual predation. You can spot them a mile away and people who haven't can't. So what a shaman does is in their initiation and their training is they go through the equivalent on an energy level of every fucking demon, you know, that you could imagine, you know, demon in quotes here. Yeah. So that way they can recognize it and violate vibrate to it with anyone else. Because, you know, I can think of that's the way is like they can hold space for what they understand and you can't hold space for what you don't understand. I mean, this happens a lot. Like someone who hasn't been privileged, having a privileged life, they can't necessarily understand what it's like to be the underdog in society or a marginalized group because they don't have the framework with which to even put themselves in that world. So it's kind of like that idea. Like you only know what you know. And I remember once Robbie and I had a session and I was feeling particularly victimy that day. And I was just like, why? Why did all this stuff happen to me? Like, why is it like that? And we were doing an exercise where I was my small self. So I was like, you know, kind of little Christina in one chair. And then there was a chair across from me and I would get up and I would become big Christina. I would become my big self, right? Like my, my higher self. And my, my little self was like, why? Why did I have to experience all this stuff? And then I got up and got to the other chair and they're like, if you didn't experience this, you would not be able to help people in the range of ways that you can. And that was the lesson. And it was like, after that, I was like, oh, I totally get it. And now every experience I have, I feel like every learning I have just helps add to my repertoire. Even if it's a painful experience, I feel like it just helps me help people more. And and I don't think you need to necessarily put yourself through a lot of things, but you can really study your own thing. Like for example, my mom yeah. died when I was a child. So I feel like I've studied the ins and outs of grief. And then in my job, I'm in healthcare and I'll work with people who are suddenly disabled. You know, they've suddenly lost, they've suddenly had an arm amputated or suddenly they're par- paralyzed. And no, I've never experienced that in this life. I've not experienced the loss of a limb or paralyzation, but I have definitely visited the many sides of grief. And I know what it's like to lose something. I know what it's like to have something completely change and it can never go back. And I know what it's like to grieve. So because I feel like I've studied whatever life has thrown at me from so many different angles, I can then empathize so much better and be like in my, you know, I don't say this to them, but I'm thinking, okay, 
well, I don't know what it's like to lose my knee from below down. Like, I don't know what it's like to have to learn to walk with a prosthesis, but I do know what it's like to miss something and know it will never be back and how much that hurts. So I don't think you necessarily have to go looking for an eating disorder or a sexual predator or something, you know, to be able to hold space for those people, but you can study your, whatever pain story you have, study it, know it in and out. And in there are little tiny little, like it's like a spider web and it can help you understand everybody. It's funny what you were saying about the Christina, about the child in one seat and the adult you and the other, it's like that TikTok trend, legitimately like that TikTok trend that was about a month ago where it was little you talking to big you. Did you guys see that? I thought it was actually a pretty decent trend. Like instead of a dancey one or whatever, that doesn't mean anything. I thought it was pretty cool because yeah, <laughs> like I like doing the, whoa. Um, but talking to myself at 20 years old before my failed marriage versus like me now in my mid thirties saying like, how many kids do we have? Like, how's Ryan? How's everything going? And I'm like, no kids. You're not pregnant. You're not even married. And like younger me being like, what do you mean? Like that's the love of our life. You know, and that kind of, it put me in this thankful mentality. So that's awesome. Same thing. (laughs) I have one more question for you both. This is a question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So we'll start with Christina and we'll go to Anna. So Christina, if you were walking down the street and you saw 20 year old Christina walking towards you and you gave her a big hug and you pulled away. And as you left her embrace, you got to tell her one thing, what would that one thing be? It could be advice. It could be just, you know, just a statement. It could be whatever you want. What is the one thing you would say? You know, if I recognize it wasn't like I was a stranger and I was like, oh, I know this is my older self as I would just I would give myself the love that I did not have as a 20 year old. And I didn't have for, I'm in my late thirties now. I didn't have for most of the time until my late thirties, you know, like to say it's okay to be wrong. And I love you. I don't think I would have been ready to be anyone that I was then. And like no advice could have changed the course of my life because I was ready to hear and be what I was. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Of course. Because I've also thought, I've also thought, oh, well, you know, I did my first Vipassana at 23. I could go back to my younger self and tell myself, go do it sooner. But would I have been ready for it sooner? You know, I don't know. So I guess I would just tell them myself, like, you're enough. Mine was, and I this took me a long time to figure out, but mine was never let anybody else's opinion of you define you. So that was mine because I lived constantly in this space of, I am defined by the man I'm with. I'm defined by who my parents are. I'm defined by what this person online says about me. I wasn't ever thinking to myself, well, what do I think about myself? So I think that is what I would say. I don't know if she would have been ready to accept that because she was such an insecure little thing, (laughs) but you know, that's what I would have said. Thank you so much. This has been so insightful. Can't wait. Every time a new episode comes out, I just gobble it up and I'm just so happy. We are so blessed to have you both put in the energy and effort to give us all of this information we didn't know that we needed. That is exactly what it is because it's all stuff I didn't know that I absolutely needed in my life. So I can't thank you enough for that. 
Well, that's all for today. I hope that you learned so much from Anna and Christina. I know that I did. And can you believe what Christina said about my car accident? I just honestly am shocked and I don't know how to process this information quite yet. I'm still taking it in. It's a lot. And then Anna talking about my back and about the injustice wound and how people with the injustice wound always have issues with their backs. It's just all resonating for me right now. I hope that it's resonating for you. And take the time to listen to this episode a few times, even play it while you're sleeping. So you can kind of like really take in the information. You can find Anna and Christina on this spiritual fix. They are on Instagram. They're on TikTok. They're on all the audio streaming platforms. I'd highly recommend their podcast to you, especially if you are on a empowerment, healing journey, spiritual journey, you're a mama doing it, you know, doing it for doing it for your husband and your kids and, you know, just being a better self, a better you, a more empowered you. And that's what we're all about here on the luxury dropout. We want to make sure that you have all the information right at your fingertips. So if you are watching me on YouTube, go ahead and hit like, it's just a way to support me. That's free. I would love it. If you would subscribe, hit that notification bell. So you don't miss a minute of the luxury dropout content And if you are listening on audio, thank you so much for being a part of this family. I can't thank you enough. Your support means the world to me. And I can't wait to see you next time. And until then, I'm sending you all the love in the world. Stay safe. And I will see you very soon. That's a wrap for this episode of The Luxury Dropout. Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties. 